0: I'm Mel Stewart and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is an Olympic champion, a mover and shaker, a power player in swimming, the CEO and founder of Swimmingly, Charlie Houching. Oh, let's do it. want to say that you really stepped up your game you got your you got your backdrop you got your mic it's impressive uh, i'm a little, i'm feeling some mic envy i think your mic looks a little better
1: well i just saw your setup and so we had it was monkey see monkey do i had to had to do better
0: i know <laughs> i'm feeling a little bit competitive right now at the outset we said this the first time we talked to you you and i are four by two in our freestyle olympic brothers many many moons ago when you were a child and you were just you know sitting there Wanted to be an Olympian. I was on the podium for Team USA, of course. We won bronze and you won gold, so that makes you better. Today, we're going to talk. We're going to, I want to catch up a little bit, you know, if there's any changes in swim tech. I want to get into your little back story a little bit more. And then today, we're really going to get into questions that you should ask national team members. And I really appreciate Charlie coming on because I think that he's the white hat man, the good guy, the sweet guy. He's a man of faith. He's a good man. I'm Maybe me, not so much. <laughs> so well, I'm I'm be, only
1: white hat today because I'm actually wearing a white hat. So you guys can hat. be the judges
0: for yourselves. Fair enough. At the outset, you are you you did found Swimmingly, and that's one of the most exciting you know swim tech businesses in swim. Is there anything changing right now? Because we have a changing landscape with the pandemic. Anything? What's what's going on in your world?
1: Yeah, in um, kind of the swimming industry. Hello, we were talking to all of those people right now. Um, I don't think we've ever seen in recent memory something hit. The, sw- the sport of swimming so dramatically. And in, in parallel, you know, I don't think we're unique and novel in that sense. Obviously, it's happening all over the place. Uh, but what we are seeing is people who are thinking differently, not necessarily because they want to, uh, but because they have to. And um, so we're there to help them along. But the, the shift is we have seen, you know, there's simply no competitions for parts of the country right now. Uh, For other parts, it's limited. Uh, For everywhere, it's different. And we see people looking for a blueprint of, you know, how do we navigate this? Um, As a company, you know, we're trying to help and we're trying to do what we can to be a part of that, just be a guiding light uh, for people to at the very least say, you know, here's a blueprint for how you might go about your competitions between now and the end of the calendar year, as an example. But no, I've never seen anything like this in the sport where the people, people are having to, as, as Brad Pitt says in Moneyball, uh, when, he, when he fires the guy, he said, adapt or die, you know? And, and I think this is our moment as a sport where we're seeing that.
0: As you're talking, I just popped over to your website, swimmingly.app, swimmingly.app. That's it. And uh, I, I know you guys, you know, you have the ability to run virtual meets. And that's, um, and, and talking with the USOPC, talking with USA Swimming, talking with national governing bodies across the world, There, uh, you know, the questions are, we're, okay, can we run meats and can we social distance? And can, you know, what is that gonna look like as, cause the pandemic is, we're probably gonna, we're seeing the numbers go up in the United States right now, like the trailing 14 days going up now. So the question, do you have meats in Southern cows, Arizona, Florida, okay, that's great, but. That doesn't cover everybody, you know. The bulk of our registration, domestically, the United, United States, or in Europe, hold mm-hmm. climates. So, what 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 do you guys offer that that can that can make this happen for teams?
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, support, you know, and conversation with anyone, and we are doing that now, and we're doing that more than we have in years past with various LSCs. Um, But our job, our our opportunity with folks to best serve them, really really happens once there is some sort of competition that's possible, um, which doesn't preclude us and and doesn't preclude us from having the conversations before then uh, because when that is safe to do, isn't always self-evident. You know, sometimes they're looking for, is there a rule? Is there something saying we can't do this? Is there some common sense or some good, you know, restrictions or guidelines in place locally that say we shouldn't do this or we, sh- we can do this or we could do this based on X, Y, and Z. Um, and we're, we're helping them to navigate that so that participation can, uh, one, continue, get back in the water, and two, you know, increase ultimately. And uh, we're learning a lot from the teams that are willing to take those steps. And the cool thing that we've learned in just the last probably 30 days alone is the teams that can participate now and are, are willing to do so um, really are kind of pioneering what's going on because they're, they're doing it in kind of the safest way possible. They know they're sort of the first in the door here on the other side of this thing. And so in some sense, they're sort of going above and beyond what the requirements are. They're adding those additional layers of protection, uh, making sure that timers are spaced far enough apart, making sure that there can be the parents on the pool deck for maybe that particular heat and the next heat. And then they have this sort of carousel. Uh, We've heard teams kind of explaining this, uh, the protocol they have to get the parents on the pool deck to be able to observe and then getting them off the pool deck for the next wave. But then we have a lot of teams where there haven't been any parents on the pool deck as well. And so this is not an opportunity for us to uh, really talk about the product or anything. It's really just an opportunity for us as a business in the sport to be a uh, be a sounding board for them so that they can bounce ideas off us so we can share that with other teams. Uh,
0: if, if you don't, if you're not aware of this, you know, how since an Olympic champion, he is, as Olympic champions do, they earn money money. And he uh, he used his uh, revenue from his Olympic winnings to launch swimmingly.app and swimmingly is I mean, this is, this is cool tech. It is, it's, you can, you can run your swim meet virtually. You can run it from your phone. Uh, I, I think this is something that's cool because if you're, if, if you're a team or you're doing an inner squad and you need, and you need, you know, you're not going to pads. You're just like, let's, just do this. This is something that you can use and it's effective and it keeps you engaged and it, it makes it exciting. Uh, I, I know you're, 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 an you're not, you're not in sales mode, but I do think that's something that the people need to be aware of. So if you're listening to this, pop um, over to swimmingly.app and uh, check it out. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about your career. and uh, right. I, I, you know here's the thing. The first question is, you know, really you're a mid-distance guy, and mm-hmm. the obvious question is, do you hate sprinters?
1: <laughs> well, we all do because we want to be them, right? I mean, that's it. If, if I could do the practices that they got to do, who wouldn't want to? Of course, we love to hate them.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here. Everybody's giving me crap about it, but it's a, um, I, I do have. Everyone knows there's tension there, but you know, you, you're a legit, uh, mid-distance guy. You dropped down, you know, you drop a 348. You almost made the Olympic team in the 400 free. Uh, you know, were you, at what at what point were you were you dropping miles? Were you at 800 meter man? Um, I did,
1: yeah, I did the 800 and the mile up to maybe the year, my first professional year, like, uh, gosh, times, Mel times, the times will date me too. Cause everyone just gets faster, but like seven fifty-five, And honestly, I don't even remember my best mile. I was, uh, at the 1200 meter mark summers. If you're out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. That was when Charlie started to check out of the mile and started thinking about the 200, maybe the next day or the 400 coming up. But I did those, I did those until I got really serious maybe the year before when I made world championships in 2011 in the 400. And that's when I really started to focus on 400, 200 and then threw in some hundreds just for fun.
0: 400 meters is a sprint.
1: <laughs> it's uh, it is the, I think it's the most strategic race that there is. Um, I think it's the most, it, it's, like, it's like watching the horses run at the track. Like there's so much relative strategy to it and you're not necessarily focusing on the other guy but if you look at the times even across a single quad and and how much they can vary it's it's really interesting you know you'll have those where um you know Sun Yang and whoever else are going 342 but then the next year or the year before they may have won the same thing with a 44 high or 45 and um, I think my best was like a 46 something but um but I never quite figured out that and, uh, and I think I learned in 2013 in the 200, how, how much I like to put the legs into overdrive too soon. So I think, I think it may have had something to do with that.
0: It's, uh, 400 meters to me is one of the most exciting races to watch, especially at the highest level. And it's, uh, it's just, it's a lot of pain involved. It's mm-hmm. a, um, if you're, if you're swimming, if you're training for 400 meters, you're doing real honest work. There's, <laughs> there's no hiding, but there's no yeah. hiding in a 200 meter free. Sure. And the two hundred meter free. So the the two, the two greatest events at U.S. Olympic Trials, probably hundred free, two hundred free, because there's so much drama going on there. Because yeah, you're watching fair. seven and eight. You're watching who gets sixth. You're looking at who's who's getting third and who That's gets right. second. There's a lot and on the line. line. Yeah. 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 It's like the, the 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 iterations of what happens and all the narratives that play out are <laughs> enormous. So just 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 so uh, just put us inside your head. Uh, before the final of the Olympic trials and in, in the 200 meter free. Okay. Cause you, um, I'm, I'm assuming you're going, I got to beat two guys.
1: Yeah. That was part of the equation. I, I, I did, I would normally look at for like finals of a big race. I would look at the heat sheet and I would kind of just look at it once. And I, I wasn't a studier of it, you know, leading up to the day I was in race mode. Um, but I knew who the players were. Right. Um, knew, knew everyone, you know, by name, I think I had trained with everyone personally at that point in the heat, except for, except for Ryan. I think that's true. And, um, and I knew relative to kind of all, it gotta be top six. I knew what I needed to do in executing my race and thinking about that. Um, I kind of had this confidence going into that cause I knew, what I could do to execute how that might affect me relative to the other athletes. And it got me fired up. So I don't know if that answers the question, but it, it was just kind of a brief moment, maybe as I was warming down uh, for prelims, getting ready for the next one and just kind of a brief moment where I knew that the ball was in my court. And if I swam my race, then it would be good.
0: It's a great race. Uh, it, I mean, it works and it's uh <laughs> I mean, you you had you had some real nitro. What were you? Were you 145 at the Olympics on your split?
1: Uh, At the Olympics, I went slower. I let off. I told. I made the mistake as a uh, young whippersnapper that was looking forward to representing his country. I told Bob that I wanted to lead off in the morning, and initially, I think he had me going third or second or something. But I was all gung ho to lead it off, and. Uh, I don't know why.
0: <laughs> Never lead off a relay at the Olympics. That's yeah. Just a I
1: don't. I don't know. So I went. I went a couple seconds. I went like a second and a half slower. I mean, it wasn't great. I put my hand on the wall first by one one hundredth in the lead off, so that was fine. But
0: um, you, you delivered. You delivered. I yeah. bought <laughs> world champs in in Rome, which was gorgeous. What what, mm-hmm. what an, that was? I loved that venue. Loved mm-hmm. the, the atmosphere. Loved the feeling. Um, you dropped to one forty five five, and that is uh yeah. Barcelona, Barcelona, 2013, 2013, excuse me, 2013 world championships. That's right. Yeah. And I'll
1: speak to that. The, uh, you know, the summers, there's always unfinished business. There's always the next level. There's always the next standard you can qualify for. And, um, when I got to the Olympics, I remember having this thought, which was probably not a good thing walking out for the four by 200 in the morning. And that was sort of this realization in the split second that like, this is it. Like it, there is nothing to qualify for it. Like this, I have arrived in a nutshell, right? Probably shouldn't be thinking about that, but it was kind of this fleeting thought. And, um, I was, I was a little tense for it. Uh, but going back to that swimmer mentality, you know, there's always the next step, always the next thing to take. It was really 2013 worlds that I think I really figured out finally how to swim that race. Um, so I went third in the morning and then I went third at night again and did split 45, five, both times. And, uh, was, was pretty proud of that, that step, you know, in the year after the Olympics and sort of figuring out how to execute and really went back to my legs. I had to, I had to consciously think at worlds in 2013, uh, my only execution for the race Mel was when I dive in, I'm not going to kick until my feet hit the wall at the turn at the 50 meter mark, like literally don't kick and don't kick for Charlie is like moderate kicking, right? So I was like, don't kick the first 50. Don't kick. My feet hit the wall, and I was like, all right, good. This this will be good.
0: Are you one of these guys that, that were, you, were you somebody, you were all legs, or you, you, you hated pulling in practice? Um, I was I, a kicker. I, I, I couldn't yeah. pull. Like in practice, and people put paddles <laughs> on. I went to the end of the lane. End of the well, I, was, I listened to you and Christy Young
1: the other day having this same discussion. I was totally legs. I loved kicking with him at Michigan. And I really had to learn how to swim with my whole body as a single machine, instead of driving my body with my legs. I, I really struggled with that for a long time. In fact, I got to Michigan and I was still swimming with uh, breathing every three. So I'm trying to swim 200 meter freestyle races with Michael and you know whoever else, and I'm breathing every three. I mean, I look like a 16 year old age group swimmer because I basically still was. And I think I had got down to like 150 point in the 200 meter free, like breathing every three. And they, Matt Patton used to make fun of me because I'd, you know, I'd swim like this. And Bob finally was like, just pick a side and learn to swim correctly.
0: <laughs> so you, I did. Yeah, your legs take up way too much. You're burning a lot of oxygen. You got to breathe. You For gotta sure. You got to breathe. and you gotta, Yeah, it, it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. People treat it as this necessary evil, the breathing thing. Like breathing is a beautiful part of the stroke, you know, at least in freestyle. I mean, it's, it, it's not something that we just inevitably have to do. And so we got to figure it out. No, you got to make it a natural part of that rhythm and that cycle. And that's, that's what I figured out finally by 2013.
0: I was always a little jealous of, uh, of the teammates, our, our, our fellow team USA members who got to go to Pan Ams and you went to Pan Ams, you picked up two goals in 2011. Because if, if people that you know, if if you're if you're not aware, uh, USA, swimming, Canada, Australia, that you know we have the Pan Pacific Games that it started, the it started as Pan Pacific Games now it's Pan Pacific Championships. Mm-hmm. It wasn't at, it wasn't always the biggest uh, television draw. There wasn't even a, there weren't they wouldn't have TV rights in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the governing bodies had a better stake in it, so they had more revenue in it. But Pan Am Games, Pan American Games was always well covered, a lot of fanfare. So I never got to do it. So how was your experience mm. in Mexico?
1: So this, this was cool because I had, we had just come off 2011 Worlds in Shanghai. Um, and that was my first, other than 2010 Pan Packs, which was in Irvine. So it, it counts, but it wasn't like the crazy cool trip. Um, coming off this first thing from Shanghai, um, and you kind of have this lull because we're getting ready for trials at that point. And people are like, all right, you get kind of these camps where one mindset is, you know, I'm all in for Olympic trials and everything. And I was kind of on the other side. I was like, I got to race as much as I can. I, that's where I learned to get better. Um, and so the more I could race, like I went to the Maria Link in Brazil in Rio in April of 2012 um, for the same reason. You know, it's a high level competition, uh, but there's less pressure. You know, it's just a good way to race. Um, Pan Am's was the same thing October of 2011 and it was kind of like the folks from Shanghai that wanted to went and the ones that didn't want to didn't go and that afforded you know some more spots for some more people um, and we joke about it to this day but like that was one of that was one of the coolest trips so you get the village experience with Pan Am's it was at altitude um, and so like everything is just sort of thrown out like all bets are off like you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Connor Dwyer and I went to um, Colorado Springs for like 10 days right before to fly straight there just to try to have some sense of acclimation. Uh, probably helped a little bit. Um, but it was cool because it was a super high level competition, but it was at altitude. You didn't know what to expect. It was in the fall. Everyone's focusing on trials, but I think it really helped me gain more of that experience that I that I really needed to Perform at the highest level. You know the best way to perform at the highest level is to practice doing it all the time. So,
0: did your entire career follow over Phelps's elite uh, run-up? Um, so, say that yeah. again. No. Did, how, how how often were you in the water with Phelps?
1: <clears throat> we were together every day from 06
0: to Beijing. Beijing. Okay, you were there with him. At, so this, at the sweet spot. Yeah, the second half of that at, quad. Yeah, so, questions you should ask national team members. Oh yeah, let's do it, baby. <laughs> How all the good stuff. No, so I, I just I, I, my, my curiosity is you know in my in my day it was it was Mapiani Matt Mapiani Matt was on the 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 ramp up to eighty eight and he mm-hmm. was he was going to win seven gold medals and equal Mark Spitz's, and the media just crushed him. He was it, it, we watched his star blow up. Hmm. Um, Phelps whole different universe. Mm-hmm. Um how as a teammate, how do you how do you manage that? How do you 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 have to feel that coming? How do you engage a teammate and live in and share the same oxygen as a Michael Phelps?
1: Uh yeah, I mean he was is a great teammate, lots of great teammates at Michigan. It, it was it was hard. Um it was a really intense training group. And I know you and Christy Young talked about it. You and Davis talked about it. I mean the t- the group at that time, don't quote me on it, but roughly, I think the between the professional team, guys and girls, and the Michigan swimmers, I think there was either the current and future Olympians, it was, it was at least a dozen. I mean, it may have been a dozen and a half. It was, you know, everybody from Cleet and Eric, Cleet Keller and Eric Vent, who came just as pros to be with us, and Caitlin Sandino, all the way up to Sean Ryan you know, Michigan guy, collegiate guy who ended up making it in 2016. Um, And everybody in between me and Tyler Clary and Scott Spann when he was still at Michigan and all the Pan Am guys that made that team, Um, you know, and then, and then, um, you know, Phelps and and those guys too, Peter Vanderkay and uh, Davis Tarwater, you know, there's the, the group was, the group was intense. Um, And so were the coaches, (laughs) And John and Urbanchak was the, uh, you know, the voice of, uh, he was the bridge. He was the tie that, that bound folks together when it was necessary. Um, but I learned a lot in doing that style of training for those years and and basically trying to imitate what guys like Michael were doing. You know, if he was going to do this in the water, I was going to try to do that in the water. And um, I, I realized in doing that, there was a lot a lot to be learned by doing that. There was also a lot that I finally understood, even through uh, the London Olympics, rooming with him, as an example, um, that I needed to be my own professional athlete, that there were some great similarities, and then there were some stark differences that I needed to live into and be my own athlete. Um, So it was a great journey. And if you have that as a blueprint, like that's probably a pretty good place to start. And, uh, when, when you say things like, well, I'm going to do this that Michael does in the water, but I'm not going to do it, it this way. You know, you're, you're learning and developing as an athlete when you have that nuanced perspective of learning from the greatest athlete of all time. So
0: pretty cool. That was a follow-up. It's like, how do you pick your roommate on the national team? It sounds like you picked very well. <clears throat>
1: uh, yeah, so we did, I guess just 12 together. I, I can't remember, but yeah, it You know what? We had known. I guess I had known him longer than most guys on the national team at that point, being a post grad. So just kind of more familiar than anything.
0: Yeah, you got to respect each other's space, and you got to mind the tension that's happening. And uh, so, I would say picking a roommate. I had great roommates. Often roommate uh, roomed with breast jokers of all people. Okay, and uh, I just for some reason we got along, you know, I'd like sprinters. I kind of hated breast jokers. I like to make fun of them, but I always roomed with them <laughs> because I they always end up being my, my best buddies. Yeah. But, uh, but mostly it was, um, so I was at world championships in 1990 and my roommate was Mike Behrman and Mike Behrman. he went on to be an Olympic champion, but he broke the world record at world championships in 91. Mm-hmm. And I remember how respectful he was because he knew that I wanted, really wanted to perform, really wanted a world record. And, and, and I had, we had like a full two days where he was like, he was staying out of the room, wasn't talking about anything. He was just going, yeah. you know, going to get you anything, but uh, picking a roommate matters. And, and, yep. and I think it's like, you have to, you had, it's, it's a certain level of pro and understanding the management of tension and stress.
1: That's a good point. You know, in 2000, I think I'm always default the student of the game. And so I think me and Michael rooming together, is a good example of like, I want to, you know, you want to sit at the master's feet and learn as much as you can. Right. And uh, in 2013, I roomed with Chase Kalish. Um, and so it was kind of the the flip flop and Chase was still a lot younger and he was only some of the 400 IM, I think at that meeting, it was the last day. And, you know, I'm, I'm several years older than him I'm out of college at that point. So now I'm kind of like the older guy and, um, it's easier for me to be the student of the game and stepping into that role, I think was part of that exercise of taking complete ownership of the whole thing. I don't need to copy anybody at that point. You know, this is my what fourth year being on the biggest international stages. You know, it's time for, I, I know what to do. I need to go execute it and it's okay if I'm an example for somebody else. So,
0: yeah. You bring up, you bring up, you bring up Chase, I love Chase. And of course you'd be like a little kid when, when Michael was swimming and like Michael, there's stories of him where like, he'd go up to Michael's car and, and, and spin his spinners and Michael would come out and trigger his alarm. But, uh, and I'm not, I'm not calling Chase out. I'm not, I'm not pointing in his direction, but there are certain conversations we have internally with national team members. And uh, the conversation kind of goes like this. Um, and this is really going to upset a whole lot of people. So listen closely. Oh, okay, good. Let's upset somebody. If, if uh, you know, if, if, if it, it's sort of like, can you swim meters? Swimming in your arch is great. Can you swim meters? If you can't do it in meters, buddy.
1: Hey, you talk, College ask, matters. ask any eight year old little, little swimmer what their dream is. Going to the Olympic games. Yeah, the other meets different. are great, but there is a standard and, and that is
0: it. There's something about a 50 meter pool that just calls the herd and calls it in a very, it's, it's a brutal way. So questions you don't ask And nationally. beautiful. And beautiful, and beautiful, beautiful. So some national team members internally might might have very stark opinions about like, yeah, you don't you don't make the call. There's a certain (laughs) definition that's going there. Is there a hierarchy on the national team? Like, I I I made a national team. I was freaking kid. I was the youngest guy on the team, and uh, and I'm like I've made a team USA. In my head, I was like a superstar, and uh, I just remember the realization that. Wow. It's just like any other team. There's a hierarchy. There's, there's, there's there's some clicks. And uh, so yes, it's a whole new, you know, you're reaching a new environment, but it's the same thing. Everything smells like chlorine. How did you navigate the national team?
1: Oh, I was, I was kind of a kid in the candy store. Like I'm kind of oblivious to some of that stuff and I don't really have a politics hat or anything, but um, my first big one was 2010 pan packs and it was in Irvine. So it's kind of a good way to ease into it. You know, everyone just kind of stayed in um in Irvine and um got to know each other. And um, I don't know the the groups that I was in, like there was uh there was a lot of girls, there was a lot of guys in the training group. So I think it was easy to cross over and get to know know a lot of different people. Um, I, I mean I bonded with certain people for sure, Matt McClain and I uh we're we're always the ones kind of doing something during a training camp somewhere trying to talk about something other than than swimming for a minute um but uh yeah yeah lots of what a diplomatic answer that I'm getting to lots of great personalities and lots of uh lots of interesting stories but it's the truth it's the <laughs> truth
0: be honest. If yeah. there, there, you've been on national team, just like yeah, the one or two people, are like, I don't like them.
1: I mean, there's always some weirdos in every group, but that's what makes us, uh, that's what makes us interesting. <laughs> oh. And if you don't see any weirdos, Mel, it's because you're the weirdo.
0: Stop Maybe it. I was the weirdo. Maybe we were the weirdos. I saw you cross your. You got your arms folded. If you guys are listening here, his arms all folded in front of his chest. He's <laughs> well, and like, very guarded. Yeah. very <laughs> guarded. So here's the truth to take away. Pick your roommates well. Yes, you're going to get on the national team. There's a hierarchy. And some people you're not going to like. It's just a reality. That's it. It's a whole, it's the, yeah, your life doesn't change. It's the same thing. You're just in a, on a faster team.
1: That's it. And I will say this, you know, now that you bring up a good point. It's not the athletes so much as it is the coaches. You are so intimidated at first by these coaches. They carry this weight around the pool deck. That's crap. Don't worry about it. The best thing that you can do to diffuse the situation, good example, people that come to mind that do this, Schmitty, Kathleen Hersey did this, Like you just go and you talk to all these people, especially the coaches and it totally removes the mythology and the mystique about all these people. It, they're just focused on their swimmers over here and these coaches are focused on their swimmers. and you go up and say, Hey, how are you? And instead of feeling like, Oh, I should know all these people and we only know each other by name and by like the stroke that we swim in the water totally diffuses the situation. So that's my, that's my advice to new national team members. Just go talk to everyone.
0: The, the beauty of the national team, I think really is that it's, it isn't, it isn't high school. Like you, you come in, the best way to get to know people is when, is, is to go to a table where you don't know someone sit down yeah. and, you know, it's like, I would always try to, to pick a table where I didn't know somebody I would sit down, break mm-hmm. bread, talk to them, even if they were a breaststroker.
1: Yeah, there you go. That was always at lunch at camp was always a great opportunity. I remember uh, Natalie was always, Natalie Coglin was always really good about doing that, and we kind of just knew each you know, hey, how's it going, kind of thing. And then she sat down one day, and you know, just sit there shooting the breeze for an hour and a half talking. She's a great friend, and uh, but that's it. Just sit down and talk to somebody at
0: a new table. All right, we're under ten minutes. We're actually down to eight minutes. We got to go, we got to go fast. This obvious is right. stuck. Did, did you walk in the opening ceremonies? I did not. Yeah. So to explain to people why you don't.
1: So I kind of, uh, to be honest, I went with the herd on that one. They were like, all right, we don't want to do this and stand around and wait. If I could have done it differently, maybe I would have gone. Um, cause what a great experience to have to miss. But I tell you what I tell this is the story I tell kids all the time. The fireworks at the end of opening ceremonies woke me up out of a sound sleep. We were already asleep. And, um, And I'll never forget the only two people in the suite that actually walked into the living room were me and Michael. And so we're both trying to figure out what's going on. The fireworks are exploding over the village and we just go out. We're on the eighth floor balcony and we didn't really say anything for about five minutes and we're just watching our own like kind of private fireworks ceremony and we can see the stadium in the distance and the fireworks are exploding right overhead. And it's just a, a memory I'll never forget. It's pretty cool.
0: I went to two Olympics, didn't walk in either. Basically, the coaches will sit down and they, they don't want to take this opportunity from you because parading with your team in the opening ceremony, it's a sacred moment. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a special moment. However, um, I think a lot of people, it just comes down to this. Do I want to stand on my legs for 12 hours? That's it. And you can't do that before the biggest event of your life. My, my, from my experience and what I've heard talking to other peers, 90% of people don't do it.
1: You know, and that's the thing, like there's so many unknown quantities when you're traveling internationally. This is the part that folks don't see unless you've done it. Mitigating all of those unknowns is such a, such a big thing. Um, And you don't want to do it to the detriment of the experience because sometimes just clearing your head and going for a walk for a minute is going to help. But it's a good example of one of those things where it's easier just kind of throw up your hands and say, Hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to avoid the crowds and standing there, or somebody coughing on me, or whatever the thing is, and just uh, just watch it from the village.
0: Personal confession: stress levels at uh, t- for personal confession. Olympic Games always for me the most uncomfortable. I much preferred World Champs. I much prefer yeah. Pan, uh, Pan Pacific Game, Pan Pacific Championships. I much prefer. So personal confession: I wouldn't poop solid for forty eight hours before I raced at a big meet. Now, now if I was going to a national championships. It'd be kind of, you know, we would be, we would be in between solid and, and, and just water, but at, at an international meet, just water, stress, Pepto-Bismol was my <laughs> go-to. Um, yeah. How did, you know, how did, were your, did stress hit you in your body in a certain place?
1: Yeah. I'll tell you the, I was always like, like hugely hydrated. So I was always doing the other one, you know. Uh, <laughs> but what I figured out over a few years was the first time I got to a certain level of meat, I swam about what I did to get to qualify to get there. I kind of right around where I had been and it sort of took me through that first. Once I got past that, I never performed slower. I kind of had that mark where I was super stressed, kind of the, I was a bundle of nerves. And then the next time. I sort of mentally, emotionally broke through. But a good example is 2011 World Championships. I swam the foreigner free uh, in prelims. I didn't make it back next to Paul Biederman. I think I was like 10th overall or something like that. Didn't make it back for finals next to Paul Biederman, current world record holder at the time. And I got out and it was like all the nerves released. And there's a few pictures of me. And I'm just, there's a clean deck and I'm just vomiting all over the pool deck. And there's like a lot of Chinese people just looking down at this poor, like American kid that's just throwing up everywhere.
0: <laughs> that's, that's rough. We, yeah, you see people, you see people, the stress is so high. You see people react in a lot of different ways. And yeah. uh, so not, not easy. Uh, just uh, something funny, something interesting. At the Olympic Games, there, you're there with many, many peers, the best athletes from all over the world, male and female there's a lot of opportunity for romance. Do you romance or do you not romance at the Olympic games?
1: There was, there was no, uh, there was no athlete romancing uh, to speak of that I, that I encountered. Uh, I know you can read articles on ESPN that would suggest differently, but got to meet a, meet a lot of really cool people, but um, didn't, uh, didn't connect with any other athletes. Yeah, no.
0: It's, it's a, it's the feeling is that it's a, it, it does. You know, it feels like this is this is what Olymp, the Olympic Village feels like. It feels like, okay, you are the senior class has graduated out. Now you're the senior, and everybody in your clique is basically the same, and everybody has everything in common. And uh, that's that's very tempting, but you need to stay focused on what you have to do. That's that's
1: right. There's Keep a task chill. at hand.
0: Keep it chill. <laughs> And uh, I think this is the the case for 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 most elite athletes. Now I've, I've sort of hogged all our timer down to three minutes. Do you have any any any, any questions that you're thinking? Hey, man, this is something national team member.
1: Gotta ask a national team member, Mel. Um, what would you, in having been to all of these international competitions since you retired, what's the biggest thing that jumps out to you as being the difference from being Mel the athlete walking around on the pool deck looking up versus being Mel? The swim swam guy or Mel the uh, the alarm, you know, looking down at the athletes.
0: The, two observations: one, if I walk on deck nobody cares, I'm Mr. Stewart, the guy who they think I, you know, the guy who owns Swim Swam, which is misleading because we have we have four other owners. Um, so it's a, a lot of people don't even know. Uh, <laughs> some do, but not, not everyone yeah. really knows. So that that's that's a little bit of an that's an ego check. Sure, the, sure. Uh, the, another thing is that, uh, a lot of older Olympians will say the older you get, the color of your metal matters less and less and less. And I didn't believe it. I'm like, nobody color of your metal matters forever. And and that's proven to be prophetic. That's true. You don't care. It's, it really does come down to relationships. Um, but I can tell you this, the older I've gotten, the more you feel joy for what and appreciation for what you accomplished. Mm-hmm. And it feels like when I watch your younger generation, when I watch anybody else, it feels a little bit like going to church and celebrating this wonderful thing we had. So I hope that answers your question. We're down yeah, to about a
1: minute. Down to a minute. All right. Um, all right. I'm on the spot. One more question for you, Mel. Stuart, owner CEO of Swim Swam. Um, Tell me about, I've used it, coined the phrase post-game purpose. Tell me the best attributes you brought with you and the ones that you had to leave behind moving from Olympian to swim swim owner.
0: I can tell you this, that when it's uh, as an athlete, it was a very individualistic um, swimming is very focused to head down. And uh, what I learned is that in business, you cannot be successful. If, 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 if it was just me at swim, swam, swim swim, mm. swim might not be a success. I just don't have the skill set. Um, there are a lot of blind spots. You need guardrails. Uh, I have a lot of dumb ideas, but uh, the the understanding that your success is really based in everyone's success was a lesson that it took a while for me to learn. Hmm. And uh, that's my biggest lesson. Something tells me you might say the same thing.
1: I I would have to agree with you. I like that one, very cool. All right, buddy,
0: we have to bring you back. Are you gonna come back? If you'll have me. We will have you. If you'll have me. Mr. Charlie Houchin, Olympic champion. I love you, buddy. And uh, we'll see you soon.